0: Welcome to Curious and Candid, Conversations with Those in Pursuit of More. Today's guest is Rachel Ellery. Rachel, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Quentin, for having me.
0: For sure. So, uh, Rachel, we're going to jump right into it. I've got four questions I kind of like to ask all of my guests just to kind of keep the continuity of each uh, podcast and kind of get the conversational ball rolling, so to speak. I like to call these the conversational starter questions, so... Uh, the first question, Rachel, I'd like to ask and, and I'm curious about is how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most days and on most mornings?
1: That is a great
0: question.
1: <laughs> so I um, I will say I am a constant pursuer of having a better structured morning. Um, I see the value of it. I probably have more routine and structure than I think I do, uh, but as an entrepreneur and with my life in multiple different uh, pots, I would just say my struggle is actually routine and um, making that morning time a little bit slower and a little bit more still. So that's something I'm working on. Um, I would say a current practice I've been trying to get better at is waking, not getting on my phone right away, not opening any email messages, um, trying to spend at least 10 to 15 minutes journaling. I'm taking a happiness course um, through Arthur Brooks. And yeah, I just, I needed some more accountability to make that happen. So it's been, it's been good journaling, reflection, um, trying to also remove the performative aspect of it and really just make it for me, in the morning which is still tough um but i i would say that's definitely a weakness area actually is my morning routine
0: well i <laughs> we're on you're on curious and candid so i appreciate you being candid first of all um now second of all uh let's let's talk a little bit about um what you just mentioned you're taking a, a happiness course um i'm i'm curious and and kind of just wondering what is this like a, um, a higher education, like master's degree course? Is this working towards like another, uh, you know, coaching certification? Like what is this course about? Um, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued about that. Can you touch on that?
1: Yeah. So actually it's a free course that Harvard or Stanford, I think you can do it through the main Ivy league schools. They offer for free. They started doing that. I think around COVID time, just recognizing that people were really struggling with, um, you know experiencing positive emotions and giving them some sort of tools and strategies so for me uh i i think happiness has always been this curious word um it's 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 more of a it was more of like an external thing um so i really wanted to work on what that meant for me intrinsically and how to look at happiness so yeah, you can, you can take the course for free. You enroll. I don't know if they do it like a semester type of, it seems like they do, but it's, um, you can opt in to have it graded, but I didn't. I, you just go through with a cohort, uh, modules and it's, it's like a loose grading system, Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't count towards anything. It's just for your own, for your own benefit. Mm.
0: Uh, have you, have you, I don't know how long you've been taking the course, but has there been kind of like a aha moment or maybe uh, something that has kind of clicked for you in terms of happiness and and what that is, what it looks like for you personally, like within the course or not quite at this point?
1: Yeah, I would say so far, something that I it's about a month into the course um, and I'm not in there. It's a self-paced course. So I would like to get in there more than I do. Um, <clears throat> the, Something that stood out to me so far was my scoring. They have a couple different tests um, based on how they're measuring people's positive and negative uh emotions, how that's genetically and you know, how there's genetic impacts in that as well. Um I think there was a test I did that highlighted the the that loneliness and relationships were actually something that scored very high in the sense of dissatisfaction for me or fear around that. Um, and the, you know, the performative, the achievement, the, those things were, were something that I definitely put more on the forefront, um, as a way to almost like hide from how much I wanted deep relationships. So, yeah, it it made me more aware of where I was prioritizing and spending time and what I was avoiding most out of fear. Okay,
0: cool. Okay. One other thing in terms of kind of the morning stuff uh, to go back to that before we move on, you kind of mentioned, um, trying to be intentional about avoiding, like getting on your phone and checking the emails and all that. Uh, I have a lot of podcast conversations and that's something that comes up quite often. Some people you know, uh, aren't on their phone for a certain amount of time before they, uh, you know, complete their morning routine or whatever. Some people jump onto their phone, admittedly, like right away as soon as they wake up. Now for you, uh, Rachel, just not necessarily even in the morning, but just like as a whole, right? Like social media, being on a phone, being behind a screen, like Do you find the more screen time that you have, the more social media time that you have throughout a day, throughout a week, throughout a month, however you want to kind of look at that, do you you feel a certain way when you are on screens more than when you're not? And if so, how do you feel and how do you kind of work through some of those emotions? Because for myself personally, like I have to remove myself from my phone and all screens every single day for an extended period of time because once I'm on a screen for a, a long time, I just I just don't feel good. It's not what my body, my brain and, and my being is is craving and, and I I hate that feeling. So can you relate how do you kind of work through some of that stuff when you do find yourself maybe not uh, meeting those expectations for yourself with screen time or and or social media?
1: Yeah, I can absolutely relate. I feel an overwhelming amount of anxiousness, um, just feeling like this frustration with why am I so like, why is this so automatic? Why am I reaching for this thing so often? How is it so trapping and, and sucking of my time? Um, and then when I see the amount of time that I've spent on it, it makes me visceral. Like like I don't like how I feel, um, because it's, yeah, it's not how I want to be spending my time um, and I do think that, unfortunately, this is the product of our generation, our technology. You know, the the wave of which it's happened in the last, like, three to four years has been extreme. And just people are living more indoor lifestyles. Everything is convenient. Everything is boxed in. Everything is, is through the phone or through the screen. And that's something that makes or disillusions people to thinking they're more connected and um they're actually far more disconnected um and i definitely feel that and it it um how do i navigate that i'm working on that my discipline around that is not great um it's a constant awareness and because i run business through my social media because i um have a bit of influence in the sense of i live a certain lifestyle that i do feel like can help encourage and inspire people to also live better lifestyles i i I want to remove the ego from that but I also think there there is a presence there that has been impactful and meaningful for for people. I need to also recognize that you know my being and my self-care is more important than what I perceive to be important for other people. Um so I I do think there's like some ego in that that I have to work through, but I'm working on pulling that away in very um like I, my bed right now, I have an eight sleep. Um, it can wake you up to vibration or heat, um, which is amazing. And I need to lean into that and know that I don't need my phone to necessarily wake me up. I should put that out of my room or outside of, you know, even my grabbing space. Cause I think the second my alarm goes off on my phone and I hit, now I'm already on it. Now I'm seeing things. So I think that's going to be my step number one. Um, but you ask, can I relate? Hundred percent. I'm. I um. It it's concerning to me, to be honest, because I don't know how to remove myself in a healthy way and have good boundaries around it, but also have good discipline around it.
0: Yeah. Um. You know, before we kind of jumped on here, I mentioned just uh kind of in passing that I you know last three and a half years before moving back to Colorado for the second go around here. I moved back to Iowa as COVID hit, and bought a gym, and and you know it it it's a it, I still own it. Um, it's brick and mortar, right? But I found very quickly, like, uh, you know, people reaching out because like you know people would call the gym phone, uh, and it would go straight to voicemail, and then uh, when they left a the voicemail, it would send. Me an email through my phone which is very convenient because you know i don't have to be answering like a, a landline or somebody's not calling me on my personal cell phone so that was great that's great and then people reaching out through the gym website that's on the phone people uh sending emails uh that's through the phone and i just i learned very quickly like okay i've got to figure out how to um put a stop to me spending so much time uh, specifically on my phone. And, and, and I, I had to work through kind of like the rationalizations of like, well, this is the business. This is how I'm making my living. But then it's like, it just really starts affecting like for me personally, like my mental health. Right. And just the way that I was feeling. So I really had to be intentional about setting some strong boundaries of like, I'm off my phone every single day at this time. And I'm not getting on my phone until this time the next day. And I told myself, like, I don't care if the business burns down. I don't care if the, the house burns down. Like, I, I, I don't care about anything else except for, like, I'm not going to be on my phone because I need this for my own mental health and my own sanity. And I think it's a tricky situation. Like you you mentioned, Rachel, when you have a business and if you don't have a social media presence, whether that's a website, Instagram, whatever it is, uh, in terms of an entrepreneur and having a business like it's, it's hard to have a business, right?
1: Well, and I think too, for me, I'm probably less scared of taking that away. It's more the fear of everybody else isn't though. And, you know, m- me walking around without my phone or my platform, are people even going to look up? Like, you know, the, the fact that people just ha- are head down. Um, And I think that was also another recognition in my happiness class was just this fear of like, I don't want to be head down for so long that I miss what's going on and what's happening around me. And that, that feels like that's what's happening and what it's coming to. And I, I, um, I've noticed even when people call, I get anxious. I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I want to talk to them, but now I'm way less comfortable talking on the phone or talking to someone. And I'm
0: like, I
1: don't like that. That's never been how I've, how I've been.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for kind of having this conversation with me, Rachel. Because I, I think not only for you and myself, but just everybody out there in the world that we're living in, like these conversations, I think are really valuable and important to have. Um, and it's always great to hear somebody like yourself. Uh, you know, you know that that's a holistic nutrition and lifestyle coach. That's you know, like you said, you have some sort of influence. I think it's important for people like yourself just to be able to be candid and be real and open. Say, hey. This is something that I don't have figured out, but this is kind of the way that I'm feeling. I'm, I'm working through it. So so thanks for, for having that little bit of a conversation with me. I, I appreciate that. Um, let's, uh, let's jump into the next question here. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Or if you do consume podcasts on a consistent, regular basis, do you have a favorite podcast? So favorite book, favorite podcast, if there's more than one, throw, throw them out there. Ooh,
1: you know, <laughs> this is the other trap I've been in. So when I went, I went to grad school, um, you know, I was a big reader all the way up through when I, when I got to grad school. And then when reading became a chore, when it was 200 page assignments every night, um, reading became kind of a sore spot. It was like, I can't get this done. I'm not absorbing it. I'm just flying through it. And I've noticed that as I read now, I am still just I'm scanning. I'm not really immersed in what I'm doing or picking things out. So I'm kind of working on my relationship with reading again uh, because I deeply value it and I I want to be immersed in that. Um, But I'm having a really hard time with that. And grad school was a long time ago for me. Um, But a favorite book, oh dear, I would have to I would have to dig and think about this real quick. Um, hmm. Of
0: course, on the spot, I'm blank. You're okay. How about a podcast? Do you listen to podcasts? Is there a favorite podcast or maybe an episode of a podcast that you've enjoyed recently?
1: Oh, episode recently... You're you're gonna think I'm so not interesting. How I, how do I come? I have lots of conversations with people, um, which is has been great. That's been my learning base, um, and observation. I'm I'm immersed in a lot of communities. I talk to a lot of people. Podcasts are hard for me also to listen to sometimes because I because I am on the go and because I am my mind is in other places. I don't like the just I don't like the tuning in and out of it. Um, like I'm not paying attention fully. Mm-hmm. So like you said, you it's nice because you can make breakfast and do these things. I'm like, yes. But then once I've missed something, I'm out, I'm checked out. Right. So podcast, I would say, let me pull this some recent ones that I was listening to. Hmm. I was listening to some audiobooks on here. Scarcity brain, um, thinking fast and slow. Those are some of the books. The mountain is you, um, and untethered soul is another one. As far as books go, um, <clears throat> haven't made it through all of those yet. Podcasts. Hmm. I listen to Joe rog- Rogan. I like, I like, um, hearing the dynamic perspectives on there. Um, I was listening to, uh, let's see. I don't listen to a lot. I pick around. Yeah. I'd have to
0: come back to you with that. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's kind of what I do too. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Now, uh, I, I want to, I'm going to ask you this next question and then, um, kind of based off of what you share with this next question, I I wanna I wanna kind of get into what you just mentioned about how you are really um, involved in uh, conversations with people, right? Because that's really what this podcast is all about. It's it's about uh, stepping into a conversation with another human being, which I feel like is a lost art because of all the social media and the technology, like you mentioned earlier. So uh, I'm going to ask you this question and we'll kind of just see where things go. But um, what life lesson, Rachel, uh, have you been taught or um, have you learned within the last year? And I know sometimes it's kind of hard to limit things to one, but is there kind of like a, a standout lesson maybe in 2023 that uh, when you were maybe uh, reflecting on the year, stepping into 2024, you're like, man, this was kind of like the the main takeaway, or maybe it's even uh, evolving right now.
1: Mm. Yeah, I would say. One of them is just kind of a theme of honoring my needs more than my wants sometimes. Um, I think that it's really easy to get lost in the romanticized views of the world and all the things you might want or the painted, you know, even the social media lives that people have and what you think something's supposed to be. And you actually lose your, your core in that. It's like, well, you know, what do I actually need though? All the things that I think I want, do I actually want those? It's kind of like, you know, the people who climb to the top of the mountain and realize that it's not as great up there or it's lonely up there right so it's it's kind of like what am i avoiding what are the needs that i have what are what makes you know me best able to show up as a person um what do i need coming in and going out rather than what i want all the time i think um that was one uh and then i would also say just in a different context was my, just my fitness. Um, it was very hard for me to slow down for a long time. And I think I've finally achieved a state of peace and balance around fitness and around exercise. I'm in a different, um, season of it. And I think, yeah, just, just that theme of finally being in a place that I don't know I ever thought I could be in.
0: Excellent okay so let's go back to kind of like the conversation uh about um or let's let's talk about what you mentioned earlier about you know having a lot of conversations with people obviously as a coach you're going to be interacting with people a lot and kind of having maybe some similar conversations of what we're doing right now me asking you some questions and kind of digging into to your backstory right because in order to figure out how to best serve somebody or coach somebody you've got to kind of know their backstory and 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 gather some some data and information. Now, kind of in the same lines of the question that I just asked you about the life lesson over the last year, is there a conversation or a couple conversations that, that you had have had recently um, that you feel like were very impactful for you? And um, if so, like what what was that conversation or those conversations about? And how do you feel like they impacted you? Uh, to kind of maybe move forward as, as a better version of yourself? Mm.
1: Man, I don't know if I could pick out a specific conversation. I work with a lot of different clients. Um, I have, I have a lot of personal, um, deep diving into their live, uh, types of discussions, which they're more teaching me that, you know, everybody's going through things. Everybody navigates things differently. Everybody copes differently. Um, So I don't, trying to think of like a specific conversation that was impactful. Um, I kind of, I kind of collect these little nuggets over time and identify like faces and people to them rather than specific lines of what we've talked about or what, you know, but, um, hmm. I'm not doing a good job of recalling things today.
0: Okay. It's, it's real life. It's, it's all good. Yeah, you're, you're more used to being kind of in my seat is kind of I, what I feel, yeah. right. You're used to, yes. you're used to asking the questions and probing and pulling back the layers. And I can relate because, uh, I don't necessarily enjoy when people ask me. I I didn't start podcasting to be on podcasts, right? I I I can talk and I can carry on a conversation, but I feel so much better and it sets my soul on fire so much greater when I get to pull back the layers in other people's lives. So it's all all Yeah, so you get it. I can relate. (laughs) I think
1: it's just it's just fascinating because I don't think I held this seat for a for a while, and um, you know, when I think back a couple years of a version of self, this used to be very reflowing. I I think I used to also just be a lot more present. I had a lot more coffee shop conversations, and uh, you know, I walk with a lot of my friends and in the parks and things like that. But yeah, I'm just recognizing like, whoa, you know, there has been a little bit of a shift in that. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, I think like going back to a life lesson, I don't know if this, this just came up and it's curious and candid. So we're talking, but, um, I lost my grandmother last year at, uh, January 25th. And that was the worst. That was one of the worst things that uh, has, a. Uh, it's definitely the worst thing that's ever happened in my life, but I didn't realize how much it, um, shaped my perception of grief and like, being so outside of it for a long time and having hard things that have happened to me in my life but this being very very different um it just really opened my eyes and made me a lot more compassionate for people experiencing grief and also um i think that i always had a lens for believing that you know if someone was going through something in their life that uh, and and they maybe shut off more towards me or they had more of a distance that it was something I did or it was something that was my fault. And just recognizing that other people are experiencing things in their lives that have nothing to do with you. Um, so I think that was a big lesson I also learned this year that was helpful. Um, just learning what grief is and how to walk through that and knowing that it's it just changes over time. It never goes away.
0: Hmm. Beautiful. Absolutely. Um, let's, let's wrap up the conversational starter questions here. Uh, Rachel, uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra or word?
1: I have a favorite quote. It makes me teary though, <laughs> Okay, but I'll try. I'm just gonna, let's see.
0: It's a longer one. Oh, that's good. I, I, I'm a quote junkie. That's why I asked the question. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see here.
1: It's by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And it's the, uh, it was, have you ever seen the curious case of Benjamin button? I have not. Uh, very, very interesting movie. I I don't, there was a couple nuggets in there though. They had a fantastic, just hit you in the heart kind of quotes. Um, but it was about aging backwards. Um, there was a scene where there, it, it highlighted how different life can play out with just the most minute choices or life circumstances. So I think her name was Daisy and she went and walked into the elevator, which dropped an orange and then all these things, which led to her ultimately getting hit by a car. And so they, they went backwards and looked at, well, what if the orange hadn't dropped and the elevator had been, you know, just like all those little time pieces. So it was a very fascinating movie i always remembered it but this quote is outside of the movie like i said f scott fitzgerald but it's for what it's worth it's never too late or in my case too early to be whoever you want to be there's no time limit stop whenever you want you can change or stay the same there are no rules to this thing we can make the best of it or the worst of it oh it always i don't know that i can read it
0: yeah, yeah you, can. Can. you can again you got it
1: Uh, you
0: got to finish it
1: (laughs) oh gosh all right we can make the best of it or the worst of it i hope you make the best of it and i hope you see things that startle you i hope you feel things you never felt before i hope you meet people with a different point of view um and i hope you live a life you're proud of and if you find that you're not i hope you have the strength to
0: start all over again good why what, what what what's so what, what's it, what is it about that quote that um, every time it that emotion, like what, what, what is it though? Like specifically, cause I, like I said, I'm a quote junkie and it's like, I can read a quote from some somebody and it's just, it just hits you. Like what, what is yeah. it about that one specifically that kind of hits you uh, in the heart or the, the soul or the spirit, Rachel? Yeah. You know, what's
1: funny is that I've read this quote. I've been at, I've I used to lead like questions of the day in my fitness classes and we'd share these things. And I, I would think all the time, like, Oh, I have this favorite quote. I'm going to say it. And I would get to saying it and it would it dagger me every time. And I was like, gosh, but no one's ever actually asked me to think about why. So, um, I think, I think that for, most of my life especially growing up which we'll get into it was it was not really an option to like think about what i wanted or what i needed and those those things were pretty neglected for me so i think that this quote means something to me because it's that encouraging and empowering message of you're never trapped in your circumstances. I watched people live around me very unhappy for most of my life and, uh, or for all of my life so far. And I just think that that was always something I told myself, like I didn't, I didn't need to make my life the same way. I didn't, I wasn't chained to those circumstances and I had the option to make a different life for myself. That was in my control. And, um, yeah, I just, I just think that always gave me hope that I didn't ever have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When when do you remember uh when uh that kind of quote came into your into your being when you when you uh, received it for the first time?
1: Yeah, it was 2011 toward 20 2010 2011. I was in college. So that was the first time I saw that movie. Um and I don't I can't remember the specific scene that I was said in, but I just remember hearing it and being like, whoa, yeah. that's my quote. And then I I read it. Mm-hmm. I have you know, I've had friends give it to me on little cute pieces of paper that I hold. And like I just it's
0: always it's always meant something to me. Yeah. Love it. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, OK, we're going to we're going to kind of uh, it's kind of a perfect segue transition into uh, kind of our our uh, the next part of our conversation, that's getting into your upbringing, getting into your childhood. So um, first of all, I just kind of uh, am curious and would like to know about where you actually physically grew up. And then if you don't mind, um, I really love it for you to kind of just pull back some of the layers of uh, your upbringing, your childhood, uh, paint that picture for us of what life was like for you, Rachel, when you were younger. Um, just kind of walk us through from some of those earliest days and earliest memories up to, uh, to high school. And then uh if you want to kind of stop at uh high school, once you kind of share a little bit about that, we'll uh we'll kind of transition from from that point. But um talk to us about uh those younger years, if you don't mind, Rachel.
1: Yeah. So I physically was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh I grew up in Livonia, which was just about 20 minutes closer towards Detroit. Um so suburb of which, and I grew up there throughout high school. I, it was a, it was a very suburb, suburb type of place. There's a familiar place on every corner. Um, I went to a really, I went to really big schools. So lots of people around, but not city city. Um, I was an only child. I, my, parents were also born and raised in Michigan. So nearby ish, um, they both worked for the same company. So I actually was a surprise child. Um, and that set off the tone for the trajectory of my upbringing. Um, I would say that it was a very lonely, um, my, my mom worked a lot. My, she was not present, my dad was not emotionally present. Um, so there was not a, a good, there wasn't a healthy or um, productive marriage. Uh, that word in and of itself to me is still something that I really struggle with. Um, so I would say if I had to sum up my childhood, it would have been um, independent. I have wonderful memories of sprinkles of time with my parents and um you know love them dearly but hurting people are you know hurting people hurt people and unfortunately they also hurt their kids in a lot of ways and you know as I've grown up I I've uh been able to recognize those things work through those things and forgive them and also try to figure out how to have healthy relationships from from here forward, but my family, my dad's side lived very close by. So about like 10, 15 minutes away, I have a very, very small family. So me being only child still only had about gosh, maybe 10, 12 family members on that side. My mom, um, her dad left when she was young, so we didn't really have family on that side. So it was very, very small knit. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I went to, um, public school system. I didn't really get involved. Well, I was a girl scout. So I was a girl scout in elementary school. Um, my mom was very involved in that. So that was a fun part of my life, uh, that like elementary school time, I think, um, I didn't have a healthy lifestyle at home at all. Again, my, uh, everything was very convenient. It was, you know, fast food on the corner because mom isn't home. I didn't have home cooked meals ever, um, you know, scrounging for lunch type of things. Like that wasn't, you know, a staple in my home, but I, so I was, I was a little bit of a overweight, not healthy young kid. I used to get made fun of and bullied quite a bit. Mm Um, yeah, just a lonely, lonely place. Uh, I, uh, and tried to like navigate that on your own is, is tough, but yeah, I middle school, I started playing sports. So I, I got really interested in volleyball. I remember going and watching my, uh, volleyball team, the high school team, they were state champions. So really, really good program. I watched one of the girls and I was like, I just remember I wanted to be just like her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny is she's actually one of my clients now for nutrition, uh, but it is it is cool to see like how those things circle back in your life, because I remember that day like pointing her out. Um, I played violin growing up, so I, you know, I, I tried to kind of collect as much as I could to stay busy and to stay distracted, especially in my home. I, I didn't want to be home. Um, cause I, I didn't really have a safe place at home. So whether it was orchestra, I started collecting, you know, activities, things to do, things to be, um, you know, distracted by. So high school, I, you know, really wanted to play volleyball. So I started swimming. I got in shape for volleyball because it was a very competitive program. And then we did, um, I I got recruited to play softball cuz I was a pretty fast sprinter. Um and someone the coach watched me warm up for a volleyball thing, so I just got plucked to pay, play off that. So I became this kind of three-sport athlete. Um, you know, lost a ton of weight, become became the healthy-looking uh fit girl kind of uh for in high school. Um so yeah, I still never really felt like I belonged. I was not um, I, I, I just had a lot going on at home and I didn't have the ability or, um, I, I didn't have the ability to like be myself really around most people. I didn't trust a lot of people. So it was hard for me to be a kid. Um, so I just remember high school being very painful, uh, busy, distracted, but, um, yeah,
0: That was, that was kind of my story. I don't know if you want to probe in there. Oh, I, yeah, no, I do for sure. (laughs) Um, now you mentioned uh, a little bit ago in our conversation about your grandma that passed away last year. And it sounds like she was some sort of positive influence and impact in your life. How did she kind of, uh, influence you in childhood or when you were younger? Um, if, if she did. Oh yeah, she was, uh, the best.
1: Um, she was uh she was kind of that like beacon of safety I would say um when I was young she was very defensive I would say she's that was my dad's mom um so she was she didn't want to see the realities of what was going on and how painful things were. She, she really wanted everything. She's a peacemaker. She wanted everyone to be okay. And she wanted to take care of people and people be happy. And, you know, it was kind of that frustrating grandmother for a long time where you're like, gosh, she just doesn't seem, she just doesn't see me. But then I felt like she really started to, um, and she really, um, she just became this like safety net really um she came over every Christmas um so like there were just certain holidays that were really painful um there were there was always lots of fighting and lots of pain I would say so uh she just really mitigated that for me like I felt like she um she was the light heart that came and played games and spent time and wanted to talk to me. She was very conversational. She wanted to be involved in my life and she showed up for all of my games. She came to everything. Um, so yeah, she, she was also the place that I came back to. So, um, I don't have even to this day a home to go back to, to visit. Um, due to circumstances, it's complicated. So when I would go home to visit, I would go stay with her. Wow. So she really was this, um, she was home to me, right? So that that element of home is, is pretty yeah. shattered.
0: Hmm. Um, was there any other uh, adults, like coaches, teachers, anybody that you feel like they also were a little bit of light for you in some of the the darkness of your childhood or was it really um, was it really just kind of like your, your grandma?
1: Yeah. You know, and I didn't, I didn't like realize it until I got older. I don't think, or until I lost her, I knew almost um, as I was getting older, I knew the impact, but I, uh, I would say no one emotionally, I definitely was inspired by some, some people in my life. I, I had a English teacher, a British literature, English teacher, AP, 10th grade. Um, I worked so hard for that class. I, his name was Mr. Wood. He named his children after Shakespearean characters. He was just so passionate about his job. And like, he came in theatrically every day with a line from like some play or so one poem that we are going to, I just remember like the whole class being so like we got there early. We couldn't wait for Mr. Wood to come in. I would say like there were people like that in my life who really inspired me um, and and gave me kind of this like bigger picture life, like, a you know, life was big and life was exciting and life was um, tragic and all the things like, you know, when you're in British literature specifically, it's like, a huge roller coaster, right? So I just like felt very, um, very engulfed in that class in a weird way. Like it was, I felt very seen by that experience. Um, So that specifically, I wouldn't say like any coaches um, had quite the impact. I was pretty hurt by a lot of my sport accolades. Um, So I wouldn't say that, but yeah, I definitely remember Mr. Wood and I had some great teachers along the way too, but
0: Hmm. Cool. Okay, yeah. something I want to kind of uh, discuss with you and, and and chat with you about right now is kind of uh, um, obviously we know that the, the 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 experiences that we have in childhood have a profound impact on the rest of our our lives. Doesn't mean that we have to become our parents or be who we are when we're younger. We can change, like your beautiful quote says, but it doesn't matter till the day that we die, the adults in our lives and the experiences that we have in childhood will be with us for, for forever. So um, what I'm trying to get at, Rachel is um, you know, like relationships, right? Like your relationship with your mom and your dad, I guess for maybe a, uh, for, for the lack of a better term was, was strained in, in some regard when you were younger um, and you just said, you felt a, a lot of loneliness and stuff when you were growing up. How did your uh, relationship with your parents and kind of that upbringing that you've kind of shared with us, how did those relationships with your parents kind of have an influence and impact you uh, once you uh, got into uh, adulthood yourself in terms of like relationships with maybe classmates, teammates, significant others, all of that type of stuff? Because if we don't learn how to see people when we're younger and we don't, if we don't feel seen when we're younger um, it can be really hard for us to see other people. And, and if we don't have good relationships and understand all that when we're younger uh, it's hard to kind of like have that when we get older without going through the deep work, so to speak. So can you touch on kind of like relationships and maybe some of your struggles uh, with that as you got uh, to be uh, an adult?
1: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot of learning, a lot of, uh, I mean, high school was still that time when you're you're figuring out, you don't know who you are in high school, you're goofy, you're having fun, you're, you know, I had this group of really wonderful girls that I could be a complete goofball with, had a ton of fun with, um, those relationships deteriorated over you know silly things and you look back and you're like gosh that's high school right and I had this I had a relationship um with a boy for about three years in high school and unfortunately it affirmed the pain that I was experiencing at home um it was more of a I sought something out that was still was not um aiding to me it was, continuing to kind of drive the the misunderstanding and the the lack of you know comfort that I was already being given so that was a a little that sent me on a on a poor trajectory I would say um it set me up to um not have not seek out the right partners for a long time be very critical, um, also be very non-committal. I you know had these big fears around, Around relationships, I didn't understand them. I didn't under, I didn't trust them. It was like, well, if I saw a happy couple, I don't really trust that what I'm seeing is true because I already know that that's not like that's what my head said. It's like I already know that's not true, right? So it was almost like I just had this huge cynicism, you know, chip on my shoulder, walking around of um, everything's a lie and. No one's happy. And yeah, I I definitely bled that into my relationships um, and placed very, very, very high unrealistic expectations onto people that were not fair because I didn't know how to communicate. And I also didn't know how to let people in to the things that I wasn't aware of. Like you don't know what you know until you know. And I don't feel like I really discovered those things until I went through it, which was you know, probably my late twenties. So I would say that whole chunk of time when I went to school and college and, you know, all those things, like looking back, I'm like, gosh, how do people make choices, like secure choices in their life at that time? Because I was so detached from, you know, I was so inexposed exposed to that. I didn't have any models or examples of that. Um, You know, even from the grandmother I was talking about, she didn't have uh, I never had a grand a grandfather. So I never saw even just like a relationship with someone that I did trust or like really respect. So I think that that took me a really long time because I could see it and see it and see it. And it still didn't make an indent. Yet. It was like, I know that's real, but it's very separate from like me, right? And what I believe I can have and what I think is going to work for my life. So relationships, friendships, all of those things very, very um, deeply impacted by my inability to trust people and to be seen by people. It was this fear of abandonment, like if they actually see me or, you know, if I'm hundred percent myself, are they going to still love me? Or, like, is it, you know, I had a lot of wounding in those areas too. So, um, yeah, it's taken me a long time and I, I, I'm always gonna, you know, have to work through those things. Um, but I, I, I've done a lot of deep dive therapy work, a lot of self-exploration and, um, I'm proud of, the progress I've made so
0: far. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you were in high school, did you have any ideas or thoughts about what you wanted to do with your life or quote unquote, when you grew up? Uh, and then once you graduated high school, can you just kind of unpack how life unfolded for you? Um, during, during those seasons or that stage of, of life, Rachel?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. The first question was, did I, did I have mm-hmm. aspirations to do something specific when I was in high school? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I actually always had a really hard time. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of also in the season of discovering that um, like how deeply my wants and needs were shut down at a very young age. So um, I always just piggybacked off of what I thought everyone else wanted from me and like, What someone told me, I'd be good at. It's like I had no awareness around what I was actually good at and what I actually wanted. Um, But if I can go back and remember, I always had, I always wanted to be an author. I always wanted to be a writer. I I, and I was, like I said, very inspired by that professor that I I call him Professor, the English teacher I had. Um, He should have been a professor, but I always wanted to be a writer. I also wanted to be a lawyer or a veterinarian, um, but I ruled out being a vet because I, I mean, I'm a pretty emotional person, if you can't tell, and I i can't bear the, uh, the weight of knowing that I can't save everything. I think that's definitely an Achilles heel of mine of, of feeling like it's a very all or nothing impact. Um, but yeah, I I wanted to be a lawyer, a writer, or a
0: a veterinarian, and I didn't become any of them. <laughs> so then uh talk to us then your uh talk to us about your path uh into college. What did you study? You mentioned going to graduate school. What did you study there? Like did you start kind of finding some sort of uh rhythm in terms of what you wanted to do uh with your life at some point in college? Did it did it change over time? Just touch on, touch on, touch on that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, so again, I think I was very, I was very fearful. I didn't want to be, I I knew I didn't want to be my parents and my parents worked corporate jobs. They were very unhappy, um, very, very unhappy people. And I just knew that I, I had this, this label of like, I can't work in that type of, Thing. I'm not going to be a corporate person, um, business, whatever that is. So I went the opposite realm. And my dad was always, my dad's a a pretty, um, I'd say like a fearful person. He, you know, he was always big on like job security. Like you need to pick something that you're always going to have a job in. And I you don't have to worry. Right. So I started trending towards that medical field route had no idea what I wanted to do I also think when you're you know 17 18 years old and you're having to make decisions on where to go and what you want to do like again I'm telling you right now that I didn't even scratch the surface of my like me and the things until I was in my like late 20s so you know you're just kind of collecting, modeling. I was modeling after people that, you know, I looked up to my neighbor, like people, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do what they're doing. Um, so I, I went to Michigan state. So I went there for undergrad, um, and I ended up in a kinesiology major because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. That was going to kind of be, i I don't even know how I got into that, to be honest with you. Um, I started exploring the exercise, you know, physiology realm. And then I, I got to my junior year and I was still just like, what is this? Like am I in college and what am I doing? And like, where is this going? Is this actually, I just had no concept. I was the first person to go to college and my family, uh, you know, down the line. So my my grandmother went to to college as well, younger, but I I would say just in modern day, like my parents didn't know how to navigate college and walk me through what to do and the weight of things like at all. Um, so I just I got to my junior year and I went and talked to an advisor, and I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. Like, how are people discovering this? How do how are people coming to this realization of what they want to do? And I felt so frustrated because I just, I didn't have any, anything. Um, and I remember her just kind of like asking me questions around therapy, you know, do you, you're really active. Now I, I played club volleyball in college. Um, and then I actually became very inactive, but she was like, well, clearly you're in kinesiology. Do you want to go physical therapy route? And I, I shadowed a little bit, really disliked it. Didn't want to do that. She's like, you have a really, really big heart. I think that you would actually be really interested in something like occupational therapy. And I was like, I've never even heard of that. I don't know what that is. (laughs) And I ended up just like kind of taking that and running with it. I just, when people asked me, that was what I said, I kind of just embodied this or manifested this career that I was told by someone I'd be good at, and like something I should explore. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But I I really, you know, I just kind of t- took it and ran. Uh, I ended up taking a year off in between undergrad and grad school, went back home, my mom was still living in the home, um, it was a really, really, really bad year. Um, and I, I again, kind of looked towards that what what's that next thing I can do to escape right like I'll just throw myself into grad school because that that has a timeline of distraction I can I can do that right so applied for grad school went to grad school and got it in a master's in occupational therapy
0: um what what were some of your like thoughts and feelings and emotions during um, kind of like your college years, because you kind of mentioned your childhood, the, um, the the loneliness and and all of that. I mean, was that kind of pervasive into your early twenties and throughout college? And I mean, did you did you actually struggle with like depression, anxiety, any any type of uh, cognitive, you know, issues in in that regard? Uh, or or what 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 was kind of just. just I want to get underneath the hood, like what, what, what was really like going on inside of you, um, you know, in those years in, in, in college. Cause I can't imagine personally, you know, not really having anybody to go back home to, so to speak. Right. Uh, cause I have an amazing, uh, you know, family and I, I can always go back to Iowa. I can always go back to mom and dad. There's kind of a safety net, right. Uh, yeah, and there's going to be love there and, and acceptance and uh, all of that. So, what, what was going on inside in college? Like, what what was your heart feeling?
1: Yeah, I um, so I was diagnosed with uh, a, a clinical depression when I was 17. It was almost like a, a point of numbness. I can remember, I, I remember walking the halls. There was one day specific when I was just movement is happening time is going i'm floating and that's all i feel like there's no nothing else i was starting to cry uh out of nowhere in classes like have to remove myself and it was like to the heaving part like i'm stuffing it down and i have problem i i still do that like i want to cry and then it's like push it back down um but that was happening a lot um, my junior, senior year, and I, one of the uh, social workers happened to stumble upon me, asked me to come into office. Um, so I had, I had some, I, I, I have anxiety run that runs in my family. My dad has generalized anxiety disorder. So he, and bipolar, um, my mom, manic depressive. So a lot of mental health history in my family, um, So it just kind of hit that head though uh, for me at that time for a lot of reasons. Um, And navigating high school was definitely difficult. I remember telling the boyfriend that I had at the time when I'd gotten diagnosed with that. And I wasn't a sharer at that time really of my feelings. I was pretty shut off and closed down, uh, much different than I am now. Um, And he was, I think, the first person I brought it to. And he told me that. That was just a crutch to make people feel sorry for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just I remember feeling very um not relatable there like there was something wrong with me right in, in my mind and I couldn't control it. And people also didn't really understand what I was navigating in my walls, like in, in the place I was supposed to feel the most safe. And, um, you know, school was already hard enough and navigating relationships and fitting in. And like, there was just, and so many things going on at that time that you don't blame those people for not understanding, but you do end up starting to withdraw. So I I would eat my lunch in the orchestra room and I really started cutting myself off. And I could and I got made fun of a lot. Um he had a twin brother uh, and a group of guy friends, and um, they used to tease me all the time and pick on me and poke. And it was like it was just it was poking a bear, a very, very you know, stuffed down bare, but it was still poking. And, um, those things just kind of came to a head, I would say. And I, and I withdrew because I didn't know really how to regulate what I would feel if that all came out.
0: Um, okay. Now let's, uh, before we kind of, uh, get more into your professional career, I want to start talking a little bit about fitness because, um, I think fitness has been a big part of your life, right? And obviously, you know, doing the coaching and all that stuff now. So you mentioned a word that I think is a fascinating word earlier. And you mentioned the word uh, escape or escapism, referring to something else in your life. I think maybe it was pursuing your master's degree or something at that uh, juncture of your life. But um, that word's fascinating to me because I feel like a lot of us humans Um, we, we find this thing or that thing, um, and it can be fitness. It can be alcohol. It can be, uh, relationships. It can be our phones. I mean, whatever, but a a lot of things in life become these, uh, uh, opportunities for us to escape the reality of whatever we don't want to face or deal with in the, in the present. Right. Yeah. So when did fitness really become a big part of your life, Rachel, and was fitness at some point in your life, another escape from the reality that you didn't want to face for whatever time period, um, you know, you were, uh, really, um, engulfed in the fitness world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would say fitness became important to me when I was actually in high school. I, uh, that's a, that's a story for another day as far as the pain goes, but I, um, I learned some hard lessons there. Um, but that was an escape for me. It was like, I could pour all my time and effort into something that would get me something, um, that felt like an achievement. Like I could control that. That was something I could control. So I, um, I would say in high school, but, but you know, it wasn't really until I started my CrossFit, um, journey that I really grew in, in like the, the confrontation with myself. It was really, because because you're not on a um you you show up as yourself you know eventually there can be teams formed and all of those things but it was kind of like wow i'm just here doing this thing and i'm learning these things like how am i responding when i'm learning something like i feel these you know impulses in my body that are fearful or i feel um super emotional like you're starting to kind of dig things up to the surface through movement and through com- com- Confronting things that are hard or putting yourself through something that's very challenging. So I always said like CrossFit was a way to kind of fight my demons. It was like I could come to battle with it. Uh it it was a way for me to know what existed under underneath the surface because it's easy to walk around and you know, distract yourself and be busy and present this way. And then you're like, oh crap, you know, it's not till I'm in the in the harshest of conditions or till something is the hardest that this really comes to the surface. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I would say CrossFit was my, uh, my escape, um, and not, not really in a productive way either. I think that people look at fitness, um, especially people who have achieved like a look that they're going after or an ability level that they're chasing. They think that that's just all this like healthy trajectory. And just like you said, it's, it's typically not, um, you, nobody, I'm not going to say nobody. Most people don't get to the top of something or to a high level of something without, enduring a lot of suffering and that's in doing things that are not necessarily healthy or you know pushing themselves to limits that they're they're doing that for a specific reason nobody nobody typically does that out of a good place
0: um how are you introduced to crossfit and and just talk a little bit more about um you know if you've competed and just some of those uh highs in terms of your experiences uh, within CrossFit?
1: Yeah, I started when I was, gosh, started at the end of undergrad uh, about 2014. I was on a regional team 2015 and 2016. So I, I kind of got in, I got pretty, pretty good, pretty fast, especially at that time. The evolution of CrossFit is just been insane the last several years. Um, so I would call that like the OG time, uh, the really fun community, everybody from the gyms would go support you. It was just, um, it was a, it was a, a nice community involvement that I hadn't experienced and was really good for me also. Um, but yeah, I, I started competing. Um, I was in and out, I had injuries. I, you know, I got strong really fast. And I, uh, at that time, wasn't taking care of myself. Like I said, I was in grad school, I, I was going to clinicals for 10 hours a day and training on the windows of those days. And, you know, who knows what I was eating, how much I was eating, I definitely wasn't sleeping enough. So um, I, there was a lot of in and out a lot of injury, a lot of on off. Um, But I was very fortunate to compete multiple times with, um, some very, very great athletes and go to, you know, meet a ton of awesome people and compete at a high level. Um, I'd say my last competitive venture that I was a part of was gosh, maybe like 2019, actually, until I came to Colorado, started training with, um, Kelly and that crew and at CrossFit Omnia um, and I was on trajectory to compete again with them. And kind of the same thing happened. I just always got there and burnt out really bad. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my my
0: history with CrossFit. Do you have like a favorite CrossFit athlete or somebody that you've kind of admired from afar or looked up to kind of throughout your what you coined uh, CrossFit journey? You know,
1: I'm going to be honest with you. No, um, I wasn't ever exp- in. I'm not going to say it wasn't inspiring, but CrossFit in and of itself wasn't my drug. Like it wasn't what I was chasing. I wasn't chasing to be the best at CrossFit. I definitely was. um, I, I was not defining a goal for myself and chasing something unachievable. Like I was, I was kind of just using it as this therapeutic thing, um, that I grew through and became really strong through and resilient through. And I'm super grateful for that, but I wouldn't say I had like an external influence. I would say I was very inspired by the people who were around me.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. Let's take a step back. So you go to graduate school for the occupational therapy. Once you graduate from graduate school, uh, how did professionally your life kind of unfold from that point and then can you kind of tie that into or connect that with where you're at today professionally in terms of being an entrepreneur uh, being a holistic nutrition and lifestyle coach and um, bridge bridge kind of that gap for us from kind of the beginning to where you're at today uh, if you don't mind please Rachel
1: yeah (laughs) so I I graduated uh, got you know thrown into the traditional healthcare system. I worked at a big hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, called Spectrum Health. And I, I remained kind of a float therapist because I didn't want to just do the same thing. So I worked in inpatient, I worked in outpatient, I worked acute care, long-term care. I kind of saw it all. Um, and I, I enjoyed that to some degree. Um, but I also, I remember a PT having a 40th year anniversary and I cried at my desk thinking, is this going to like, is this the rest of my life? Is this what I'm going to be doing? Um, and that was only a year and a half in. And I was like, oh no, that's not like, is this what it's supposed to be? Like how did, you know? So I think that's when I became curious. It was a, what am I, what, what are my options here? Like I I have this big, you know, I have a high level degree. I've got these skills I've acquired. Um, but you know, you type into a search engine, occupational therapist is your title. That's what you are now. And you're kind of handcuffed to that. So that's what people make you think anyway. So I just, um, I think I got really, hmm, what's a good word for that? Really disgruntled by that. It was like, I just refused to believe that This is the only option. I knew there were a ton of other ways to be a therapist and I knew that there were great rehabilitation centers that I probably would have really enjoyed or different populations. But at that point, I think I was just still figuring myself out, still very like trigger happy in the sense of, um, I don't like something. I'm too scared to stay in it because it could end up, you know, I I was very hyper vigilant to change, especially growing up the way that I did that I was like, I got to jump ship. So I quit pretty uh, impulsively my career. Um, and I, I just became a coach at that point. So I was coaching, um, orange theory. I was coaching CrossFit. I was coaching group fitness classes, um, as kind of a placeholder for myself. And I fell into coaching very, uh, by accident. Actually, I, I got asked at the gym that I was at to to coach a couple classes. And then it's just, I became one. Um, so I don't know that I ever thought that that was going to be a career for myself or something that I would identify with, um, as something I really wanted to do, but I, I, let's see, I left that and then I actually started working with people with disabilities in the gym. So I, I ended up attracting, um, Well, there was a gym that I was at, we had someone come in with MS and she was in a wheelchair and she asked if she could be a part of the class. And I said, of course, she could be a part of the class. Um, And we ended up developing this really lovely relationship. And we walked a two mile fundraiser together the year later um, with, you know, walking assistance. And she has been almost independent ever since. Like that was something that was monumentally life changing for me to be able to be a part of something that big for someone who'd had 30 years of ms like they they know themselves very well they know what they can and can't do and to see someone be able to do things that someone told her she was never going to be able to do was like light bulb for me i'm like this is what like i really want to do right so I really started leaning into that, got featured on the news, um, and I had a couple people reach out with MS in that population um, to work with in the gym. And to be honest with you, I just really hadn't, I didn't have um, the confidence or the self-worth, I don't think, at that time to really understand why people wanted to work with me, why they wanted to come. You know, I just felt like a big imposter syndrome around this, even though I had the degree, I had the skills, like, you know, I was really struggling with that. Um, So I don't, I couldn't really tell you how I got to Colorado. I, I really, I packed, I had, actually, I had a really bad, um, my first and only anxiety attack I've ever experienced. It was horrifying. Um, And I had this moment where I just was like, you know, I, I think I need to, change something in my life. Like I need to, I need to remove myself, whatever maybe that hypervigilance. So I packed out my car, came out to Colorado. I started working at a gym for um primarily that had people with spinal cord injuries, um brain injuries, lots of different diverse neurological uh disabilities. And I was like, this is where I want to be. This is amazing. Um and it ended up unfortunately not being um uh, an environment that was supportive towards my growth as uh a person and in, in a way that was feasible for me, it was going to make sense for me to be able to live. Um, so I really had to take matters into my own hands of like, do I go back into the healthcare system? What do I do? Um, I'm just going to start my own business. <laughs> and it's crazy saying that now, um, because I never thought I would do something like that. I didn't know how to do anything like that. Um, but I would say I am someone who is an opportunist and I, I tend to, I tend to try things and roll with them. Um, so I saw this poll in the world of health where I worked in the traditional realm and I worked in gyms. And there was this big centerpiece of nutrition and people's understanding of fitness and health that was lacking. And I I felt well-equipped to fill that hole. So I started nutrition coaching specifically in um, lifestyle, meaning, you know, I'm asking them about their stressors. I'm asking them about their biofeedback. What is their body saying? Like, how are they feeling when they're doing these things? What are those deeper also feelings around these things? Because behavior change only comes from, um, you know, being aware of you get to, you get to acknowledge it and then you have a choice, right? Like you, you, you do have to do a lot of reflection, especially when it comes to nutrition, because those are deeply embedded in our pains, our culture, our our social circles, all those things. So I just found it to be like something I was really interested in. And then, um, yeah, I definitely put the other passion piece of my life on hold as far as working with people with disabilities in the gym. I, I still feel very drawn to working with, with those populations in that way. Um, but, I've, I've had to shift focus for a little while and definitely plan to go back into that in some kind of sense. It doesn't have to be all or nothing is something I'm learning.
0: Right. Right. So what, can you kind of give us a a year timeframe of when you really dove headfirst into uh, entrepreneurship and, you know, creating, starting your own business? Like what, what, what years are we kind of talking about uh, right now, Rachel?
1: Yeah, um as far as entrepreneurship it was the spring of 2021 that's when i started kind of dabbling and figuring out okay is this something i'm going to invest in is this something i'm going to do i took a nutrition certification uh course and you know i'd practice myself and learned a lot of what not to do and also what what was most important in my own journey um And then I just started working with uh, a bunch of people for free for you know several months, and so I'd say 2021 was when I first stepped a foot in. Then I claimed my own business the following year in 2022. It took me about a year to actually fully commit to that. I decided to work in pediatric OT for a while. I was still just coaching, uh, kind of just hustling around, Um, and then yeah, it wasn't until 2021, I'd say the fall of 2021 that I started my business. Um, but yeah, I've ever since, um, I, I, I have now been working with up to between 40 and 45 clients a month, um, through it's all virtual. I do know quite a people, quite a few people through, um, gyms that I'm a part of, but, um, yeah, it's all been referral based at this point, which I'm super, super grateful for. And it's been pretty amazing.
0: Hmm. what's the name of your business
1: oh right now it is and i say that because naming things is so challenging for me and also relating it to my name is challenging for me but um until i kind of gotten in this branding space of like what do i you know it's more of that self-discovery. Like, why is that so uncomfortable for me to do? Um, but it is our Ellery coaching. So Rellery coaching, that's uh, my first initial followed by my last name. Everybody really refers to me as Rellery, um, because celery without C. So it was just an easy coin tag. And, uh, yeah, people, people have, have sought me out in that, that name.
0: Okay, cool. I like it. Um, yeah. Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the the holistic aspect of um your services and and your coaching. Uh so the word holistic is something that is I'd say quite mainstream uh nowadays it's kind of a buzzword. Um mm-hmm. but I don't think a lot of people understand what holistic or holistic actually means. So for you and your business specifically, what does uh, being a holistic nutrition and lifestyle coach, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do you approach clients holistically?
1: Yeah. So I, I think that it really embodied and I I spent a, I spent a while with that word, whether that was something I wanted to put on the forefront because of that, it is a big buzzword and people don't really understand like what that means. I would say, um, and it is very individual. So, you know, taking my collective growing up experience, knowing that I, it mattered to me to be known, it mattered to me to be seen, it mattered that everybody be known and seen. And there's not just spitting numbers at people or telling people what to do. That's not going to make change in people's lives. So, um Also just being an OT was very centered. It's a holistic based field. We're looking at the whole person. We're taking into account, you know, what's going on in their lives. What do they need to be able to do? Why do they need to be able to do it? So taking that collective experience in in conjunction with, um, you know, how I work now and coaching um, I created a business that, that asks people those questions and it, it makes them ask themselves questions because the reason that my clients get progress is because they are digging into those those hard questions and they're digging into their past and they're digging into things that they might have not recognized. So, I think holistic to me means more of that full picture of understanding the human, how something fits to that human and also knowing where their their blind spots are mm-hmm. because until they can see their blind spots, do they have the ability to make choices. So, I always say like my job is to shine the flashlight and really you know help guide people towards what what they say they they want and really make them think about if that's really what they want or you know why why do they want that um so it makes them more in tune with with themselves
0: hmm. um what does it mean to you Rachel to be seen Hmm, it's a great question
1: i think I think that's layered, right? Uh, I think when you when I first hear that, it's I think about people that have walked into a space and felt so uncomfortable or felt like super intimidated. I know I hear that a lot in the fitness gym culture. Working with people with disabilities, walking into spaces and feeling like you know there's nobody has the tools or the access points for them. So I guess first off, being seen as you know, recognizing what someone's energy is, like, how are they walking in somewhere? Are they carrying something with them? Are they comfortable? Are they, like, are they struggling with something? So I think it's, it's more of that scan for me. And also, just acknowledging people, I think, I think that goes a long way of, hey, I hear you. And also, and also this, right? Because uh, something I am learning about in that course is, um, empathy, self-empathy versus self-compassion and uh, like what it truly means to be compassionate towards people and compassionate towards ourselves. Um, And, and compassion isn't always just, you know, I see you it's, I see you. And also what, what is best for you? Like, are you living into what the best version of yourself is that you you know, and that's always going to depend on what someone wants or what someone that's a very individual, but I would say being, being seen is, um, yeah, I don't know. I being present and being, you know, engaged and, uh, asking questions and actually, actually, you know, taking the time and the effort to, to do that. Mm. People don't do
0: that anymore. No. It's, it's a, I don't want, I don't know if it's a art form, but it's definitely a a lost art in our culture. Um, just meeting people right where they're at. That's kind of like, um, what I like to say in terms of seeing people, it's like, I'm just going to step into your world and meet you right where you're at in whatever form, whatever shape, whatever emotions, whatever's going on. I just, I'm stepping into your space and, you can be whoever you are in this moment with me. I'm um, just gonna meet you right where you're at. And I I think it's a I, I think it's everything. I, I think that is the beginning point of um of of relationships with other humans is like it doesn't matter what you believe um you know in terms of religion or politics or your your bank account or the vehicle you're driving or the house you live or don't live in or your skin color. It's like no I'm a human you're a human. And I, I'm, I'm just here with you now. You know what I mean? Um, And it's so beautiful and so powerful just to, to see people and to be seen because it, I believe being seen um, using that terminology that we're using today. It's, it's innate within us as humans. We, we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard. We all want to be loved. Right. And I think
1: it's also uncomfortable, right? It's super Mm -hmm. vulnerable um, when you, when you actually want to be seen because yeah, everybody wants to be seen until they're actually seen. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, if you see me, are you going to be, you know, are you still going to like me? Are you still going to love me? Are you still going to, are we going to be okay? Are you going to leave? Like there's just a ton of vulnerability around being seen. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to offer that space for people who are willing to step into it is a, is something I've always really valued. Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: Okay. We're going to start heading towards the finish line. I want to touch on a couple more things before we wrap up, Rachel. Um, was there like a, an an instance or a time period or a season in your life where, you know, you're kind of uh, you know, this, this young lady who was just kind of searching and trying to figure it all out and working through your own childhood and all that stuff. And then now obviously you're, you're a grown woman, you're an entrepreneur, you're, 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 you're moving forward, uh, impacting people's lives. Like that, that, that in between that middle ground, like was there, where, was there an instance, was there a season, was there, um, like a a shift, like, or or was it just gradual? Was it instant? Like walk us through from the, the wanderings to kind of like the stability of where you're at now. Like talk to us a little bit about that middle ground. And, and and I want to pull out of you, like the self-discovery and stepping into who you are today. Like walk us through that.
1: Yeah, I would say a lot of error, A lot of doing things that I wasn't proud of or losing people I didn't want to lose or hurting people I didn't want to hurt. There was a lot of learning more about myself by making mistakes that I recognized I had a choice. Like, do I want to continue that pattern or do I want to change that? And the changing that is very, very painful because you have to sit in why that's there where that came from and that's really really hard to do. Um and it it I was so fortunate to have wonderful people in my life. I had friends who proved to me over time that they loved me and weren't going anywhere. Like there were people that were very pivotal in my journey that um I really needed to to help kind of hand I I kind of envision this like hand holding the passing off. It's like one person passed me off to the next person to the next person. And I I've looked at life that way in a sense. And there's some of those constants, right. But there are seasons where those people were super pivotal and I couldn't, I, they carried me. Hmm. I would also say that I actually was a Christian for a period of my life, um, a small period. I didn't grow up with religion in, in my life. And um, I dove headfirst into exploring that. And I was I lived in a very conservative, um, small community in Michigan. Uh, and it was beautifully integrated. Just people were very intentional and conversational. And um, it was definitely something I I really needed at that time of my life and um, explored and found pieces of that were super transformative for me. And, um, you know, pieces I'm still figuring out in that and that's okay. And I think my journey has been much more of a collection and been much more of a self-reflection rather than this, like, how did I get from this kid to this, this, you know, person that's doing these things, you know i'm still circling around i'm still finding those holes and i'm still reworking them and still finding things that i don't love and i'm i'm finding things that i do right so i think it's just that forever practice of checking in and thinking about you know have i am i still continuing to do the things that i know are helping me be a better person. Are they helping me grow? Are they helping Am I serving other people in a way that is authentic and genuine to me? Um, you know, just rechecking in on myself, I think has been the in-between. Uh, I think that's how I've gotten here. People, um, a lot of work, a lot of reflection, and it's not perfect and it's never complete.
0: Amen. Yeah. Um, what's, do you have like business wise? And then obviously um, we don't have to be our business, but when we are working and we are entrepreneurs, like that's a huge part of our life. So business wise and life wise, do you have some long-term kind of visions or goals that you um, have in place uh, here in 2024? Or is it kind of just allowing things to go as they're meant to be?
1: Yeah, I've, I'm really working on how to define goals. Goal setting has always been a little bit challenging for me. Very easy for me to work through that with other people. Um, Very tough for me. So I think that it's a dangerous line if you don't define goals sometimes, because then you're expecting something of yourself and you haven't even defined it. So it's like, you're never doing good enough or you're never doing enough. And that's not fair. So I, I am working on that area. I don't have it fully defined, Um, but I would say for 2024, um, you know, I'm really, really proud of where I'm at. I'm really really happy with the growth that I've had. Um, It's a, I, I would say my goal is to maintain where I am. Like, I sometimes I don't know how I got here and this feels like a comfortable, good place. And I think that I know what I need to do now in order to maintain and keep that while I continue to make other things around it better. Mm-hmm. Um, I also am working with a startup company right now on developing more of a precision approach to, um, personalized diagnostic supplementation. So um, people get genetics, blood work done and have supplements that, that are designed to them rather than just kind of picking off shelves and taking whatever you think is best type of thing. Um, so that's been exciting. Um, and I'm just
0: kind of open,
1: like my hands are open this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, I noticed on your uh, Instagram that it looks like you have a significant other in your life. Are you cool talking about him for a quick minute? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's what's his first name? His name is Matt. Matt. Okay. So uh, how did you guys meet and how has Matt kind of, uh, you know, positively influenced you and helped you to, to grow?
1: (laughs) Matt and I actually met when I first moved here three years ago. I did not want to date anybody. Neither did he, Uh, he was in, he's in the fire service. So um, he's a paramedic. And, uh, I wouldn't have said that he would have been someone that I would have naturally gravitated towards in my past. Um, he, but he was very, I always said like he carried a warmth to him. I just always felt there was, um, a thread of good. Um, sorry, (laughs) I've actually never really talked about him, uh, like to someone else, but, he um the reason it makes me emotional is because I think I've I've learned the most with him. I've 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 um repeated patterns in, a lot in my life, especially with relationships. And he has been very patient with me. He's been uh very non-judgmental. And I think that uh coming from what I have, he he doesn't come from the same background at all. He has a family that is you know his parents just celebrated their 35th anniversary I think um, very different Um, and sometimes that can make people very uncomfortable to be around someone who didn't have any of that and just the dynamics are very opposite um, kind of like alien almost and I think that his ability to um, show up in my life in ways that I really needed wow. it's been, um really changed like life altering for me. I had a, a relationship years ago, someone that I couldn't show up for in the way that I wanted to because I didn't have the tools. And um, you know, it's I kind of was met with someone like Matt again, and I um and not in a comparative sense, but in a learning sense of I, you know, I have the opportunity to not do the same thing that I've always done. And, um, yeah, he's just been, he's, he's been so transformative for me and helped me with so many areas that I needed help with. Yeah. Cool. Okay.
0: Uh, I think we're gonna, uh, kind of wrap it up end it there, Rachel, I think that's a great ending point. Um, before I do a quick outro and, um, I let you go here, I want to kind of just Give you the platform to share any final thoughts or any final words that you might have. Um, I, f- I feel like we had a pretty thorough conversation, but if there's just something that you're like, man, I I just kind of want to get that out there. Please share that. And then if somebody wants to follow you on social media, if somebody's in the Denver area or around the world, uh, if they want to kind of maybe reach out to you and connect with you, have some questions maybe about you know the coaching and all that. Where can people uh, connect with you in, with that regard? And if there's anything else that you want to leave with us, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, and uh, then I'll do a quick outro and we'll we'll get out of here. So platform is yours. Gosh, well, first, thanks for having me. I always get emotional on these
1: things, so um, I'm not going to apologize for it, but there's a lot of that here. Um, as far as anything else, I'd just like people to know, um, I guess as people listen to this story, I'm, you know everybody has their own story and, and how they become who they become. And um, I've just always been someone who's pursued being the best version of myself and whatever that looks like. And, you know, like I, like I mentioned earlier, we never fully arrive. I don't think, I don't think we ever should get to this place of thinking that we've done all we needed to do and been all we needed to be. And um, just that kind of humility and humble uh, approach to life is something I I would just encourage other people to, to dig into a little bit and just check in on themselves and see if, you know, especially in a world and a society where we are closing off a lot more um, and living behind a screen, just encourage you to reach out and reach out to people you love, reach out to people you don't know, reach out to, you know, stop and say hi to someone on a corner. Like it makes a big difference just to engage and interact and Mm -hmm. show up in ways that you might've, Put on pause or or let dormant a little bit. So just want to leave that there. Um, but as far as anybody following along, uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's just rellery celery without the c. Um, but yeah, send me a message. You can shoot me an email um, if you click the link. There's other ways to access. I have a little personal blog in there too. If you want to read more about anything in there. But thanks so much for having me on your platform today.
0: Yeah, you're you're so welcome, Rachel. And I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your story, okay?
1: Yeah, thanks so
0: much, stay in touch. Yeah, I'm gonna do a quick outro and then I'll let you go, okay? Cool, sounds good. All, right. uh, all of you who are tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, I just wanna say, thank you so very much, I appreciate all of you, I value all of you, and if you guys would like to connect with me, I'd love to connect with you, there's a couple places that we can connect. The first place is Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. Um, you can also uh, reach out, send me an email, Um, That email is curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. And then before you guys uh, take off today, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. That would be so greatly appreciated. Again, thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode of Curious and Candid. We'll catch you guys next time.